On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the Terps week with a midweek loss at West Virginia and a series loss at Nebraska, talk with left-hand pitcher Billy Phillips, and preview the upcoming week with a midweek game against Towson and a big weekend series against Rutgers. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 54 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, along with Connor Newcomb. I'm Justin Galanti, and Connor, it was a 1-3 week for the Terps, starting with a midweek loss at West Virginia on Tuesday, then dropping 2-3 of three in Lincoln against Nebraska over the weekend. You were at the game on Wednesday, the Terps got down big early, 8-0, showed a little fight to come back to 8-5, but eventually succumbed to the Mountaineers 9-5. Yeah, it was just a bad start to the week. I mean, Billy Phillips got another midweek start, obviously, having a solid you know, start to his starting career with the four scoreless innings before that against JMU, but just didn't have the same stuff. And that West Virginia lineup is just full of big right-handed power hitters, and that did not fare well for the left-handed pitching Billy Phillips. And they got the eight runs in the first two innings. Most of them came off of Phillips in that one, and of course the Terps in a huge hole in that game. Obviously a much more important game for West Virginia in the grand scheme of things. The Terps made the comeback in that sixth inning, scoring five runs. They got base runners on in the last four innings. Had a chance to come back in that game, couldn't get it done, but they did show some fight offensively. And, you know, I'm not sure how much you can look into a midweek game like that. It's a game the Terps really winning wouldn't help them much of anything. They need to get the Big Ten games that are much more important. And I think that offensive burst at the end of that game kind of led into the Friday game against Nebraska, at least. Yeah, I mean, we say it every single week on this podcast now, and it's I guess annoying probably that we keep saying it, but other than momentum, these midweeks are kind of meaningless. So the Terps dropped that game 9-5. Go into the weekend series at Nebraska. Maryland went into the weekend two games out of eighth place in the Big Ten, and obviously the top eight make it to the Big Ten tournament in Omaha. And Friday night, Maryland put out its best offensive output of the season. It was a 15-run, 13-hit display from Maryland. They were all over the Nebraska starter, Matt Waldron. He gave up six runs. His brother comes in, gives up five runs in one inning. Marty Costas has his best day of the year, four for four, a couple home runs, five RBIs. He was on base all five times. He came to the plate. Nick Dunn had three RBIs. Taylor Wright hits a home run and has four RBIs. And Mark DeLuya gave Maryland a really, really good Friday night start. Each of his three have gotten better um, in each start after, I guess. Um, but it was a really good win for Maryland. And after a Michigan State loss to Penn State, it brought the Terps within one game of eighth place in the Big Ten. And that offense was kind of what we had dreamed of all season and kind of thought might happen at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it was pretty much a perfect start to that weekend. You come in after winning the last two against the Spartans, a big Big Ten series win the weekend before, which turns out to be the team you're now chasing in the Big Ten standings to get to that number eight seed. They come in, they just jump on Nebraska early. I mean, Marty Costas hit a couple of moonshots out of the ballpark there in Lincoln. The Terps obviously got another good start from Mark DeLuya, which was still a question mark. You know, you had Taylor Bloom back and healthy now, so kind of a question, would the Terps slot him back in there? Would they go to DeLuya? Bloom ended up making the Sunday start, obviously, but DeLuya gets in there and has another great start. The bullpen gave up a few runs at the end, but it was such a huge lead that it didn't really matter. And the Terps, just a, such a full game. And as you said, the offensive output was incredible. You had guys, you know, Taylor Wright, Marty Costas, everybody was hitting the ball in that Maryland lineup. And you got a huge win to start it. As we talked about before, you were thinking about maybe, oh, can Penn State pick off one for Michigan State over the weekend? They did that, and then they got another one on Saturday, and the Terps go up 8-1 to one in that second game Saturday, and you're thinking everything is setting up perfectly, and then things kind of crumbled in that second game. Yeah, they did, and it started as well as it could have. Maryland had an 8-1 lead after the top of the second inning. Zach Jankarski hits a grand slam in the first. Terps get four more in the second inning. You're up 8-1, and then you have Hunter Parsons on the mound, who's been your best starter all season, and you're feeling like this series is ours, and maybe the Terps are going to – try and get a sweep on Sunday. But from the top, the end of the top of the second through the end of the weekend, everything unfortunately just kind of fell apart 
uh, for Maryland. Nebraska scored 16 unanswered runs from the second inning on in the game on Saturday. They end up winning 17-8. to And for Maryland, it was the worst time of the year for Hunter Parsons to have a bad start, but I mean, the guy's been so amazing. He was kind of entitled to one of those. He gave up seven runs and four and a third. Sean Fisher ended up taking the loss, giving up three runs and two and a third. And then in kind of garbage time where Nebraska had already uh, taken the lead, they got all over Kevin Biondic. It's the first time Biondic has struggled on the mound this season. He gave up five runs, only getting two outs. Alec Tui gives up uh, two more runs. So it's a 17-8 Nebraska win. And for Maryland, like you said, if they had won that game since at the time Penn State had won the two games against Michigan State and Rutgers had lost a game against Michigan, they split the first two. Had the Terps won that game, they would have moved into eighth place in the Big Ten. So that was just uh, a really kind of disappointing, disheartening loss. Yeah, it was tough for the Terps to take. I mean, you look at them offensively even in that game. You talk about the eight runs in the first two innings. Over those first 11 innings of that series, the Terps had scored 23 runs. And you have the 8-1 to lead. You're thinking you're going to pile on. And you could tell even in that Maybe in the first inning, Hunter Parsons gave up a home run. Even in that second inning, he started to struggle a little bit. You could tell Hunter Parsons did not have his best stuff. But after you saw the Terps get eight runs early, get into the Nebraska bullpen already, a bullpen that they had beaten up the day before, you're thinking, all right, Parsons maybe doesn't have his best stuff, but he can get through five innings, maybe get through six, maybe give up four, five, six runs. But this Terps offense keeps hitting should be fine. Well, the offense completely stopped hitting after the second inning, and Parsons just didn't have his best stuff. He got out of there with the lead. Sean Fisher got himself out of a couple of big jams in that game with the lead still intact, but obviously in the seventh inning on that 0-2 pitch from Fisher that just got way too much of the plate and the two-run homer that gave Nebraska the lead in that game. You could see Fisher just kind of tightroping his way out of a couple of jams, and he couldn't get himself out of that one with two down in the seventh. Just a tough break for Maryland, but you know, it's weird because all the runs from the offense, 23 runs in 11 innings, you're thinking you can't put any blame on the offense. But they essentially just went completely quiet from the third inning on in that game. And, you you know, you'd like to say that eight runs is enough to win a ball game. But when Parsons doesn't have his best stuff, you want a couple more runs from that offense down the stretch to get that win. They couldn't do it. Obviously, Parsons just kind of let things get away, as did Fisher, and then Biondic at the end. And the series was even and then it became a big game on Sunday. But was kind of all Nebraska again. Yeah, so Sunday, after all the runs that were scored on Friday and Saturday, Sunday was something of a pitcher's duel. It was scoreless until the bottom of the fourth inning, and then Scott Schreiber hit something that did not resemble a home run off the bat, turned into a home run against Taylor Bloom. It was just a little line drive that snuck over a low right field fence. Nebraska got three more in the fifth, led the game 4 nothing. one more in the eighth, led the game 5 nothing. Terps fought back a little bit, got two runs in the ninth, but A.J. Lee struck out with two on and two out to end the game. It was a 5-2 loss for Maryland, and they end up losing the series two out of three. Frankly, I thought Bloom was pretty darn good in his first start in more than a month, but Mike Warren, the starter for Nebraska, went six and two-thirds, scoreless. Paul Tillotson got a couple outs. Maryland scored two runs off the Nebraska closer, Jake Hohensee, who who had previously allowed one run the entire season. But the offense was just not there. And from the second inning, the end of the second inning on Saturday through the eighth inning on Sunday, Maryland did not score, got outscored the 16 unanswered and then five. So 21 nothing over that span. And unfortunately, you know, that just can't happen if you're going to win a series. Yeah, and it's such an important series, too, because now we talked about this before we kind of started the podcast. You know, Maryland still really chasing Michigan State in that eighth seed. I mean, if you look at it now, Indiana's kind of fallen. They're only a game ahead of Michigan State, but because who the teams play and who the Terps need to cheer against, they're really just chasing that eighth seed to try and get into that one spot. And there's really Maryland along with the teams Rutgers and Nebraska now ahead of them kind of chasing Michigan State for that spot. And that's the other tough part about losing this series. You went into it right with Nebraska. You're thinking you win the series. You kind of maybe put them away, at least get ahead of them. Now you have another team ahead of you in the Cornhuskers who have the tiebreaker over the Terps and a better record right now. So you still have it set up in front of you. You have Rutgers this weekend, a team in front of you, but now there's not that Nebraska team, and if they can turn it on and keep this offense going, it's just another team that could keep the Terps out of the Big Ten tournament. Right. I mean, Maryland is now 6-11, and Nebraska 6-10, and Rutgers 7-11. Those are the 
three teams closest to the A spot. Rutgers is ninth, Nebraska's tenth, Maryland's eleventh, and Michigan State is eight and nine in eighth place. Now look, even though Maryland lost the series, things broke right for them this weekend other than falling behind Nebraska because Rutgers lost two of three to Michigan and Michigan State lost two of three to Penn State. So the Terps are not that far out right now. They're still only two out, but there are three teams out, which is tough. But when you look at the standings and the schedule for this upcoming week, eighth place Michigan State is playing against Minnesota, who just swept Indiana. Minnesota is 14-3, and 32-12. All appearances show that they are by far the best team in the Big Ten 100%. This season. Minnesota is the best. Michigan had the best stretch of any team in the Big Ten when they went on the winning streak, and Indiana maybe had the best-looking roster at the beginning of the season, but we get towards the end. Minnesota is the best team right yeah, now. The Golden Gophers RPI is in the top 15 now, and this team's not thinking about winning the Big Ten anymore. They are thinking about hosting a regional. So after losing two of three against Penn State, you're feeling like Michigan State's not going to have a great weekend against Minnesota. So you're feeling good about that if you're Maryland. Indiana is playing Nebraska in Nebraska. So if you're a Maryland fan, even though Indiana is scuffling, they've fallen to 9-8 and eight and 7th in the Big Ten and could conceivably fall out. You are rooting for Indiana to turn things around and beat Nebraska maybe 2 out of 3 this weekend. And if you're Maryland, you're playing Rutgers, which is another team ahead of you. So even though this was a rough series loss, the path is still there for Maryland uh, because of the matchups this week. They are playing a team ahead of them. Rutgers, Nebraska is playing a team that's currently in the top eight field, and Michigan State is playing the best team in the conference. So there is a path there. We'll get more into this later. Um, but if you're, you know, you're a Maryland fan, obviously the most important thing is taking care of business. And there's no doubt you have to get two of three this week against Rutgers. You might even have to sweep them because next week uh, you're at Indiana. And the question I'll propose to you here is for Maryland to feel comfortable about their chances or its chances to get into the Big Ten tournament, what do you think the conference record has to be in the last six games? It's interesting because I think that question has a lot to do with what happens between Indiana and Nebraska this weekend. Right. Because if Nebraska can win that series, you're looking at a Nebraska team that might have finally found out how to get it together this season and an Indiana team that's going to scuffle and be playing for their lives next weekend against the Terps. But, it, it, you know, let's, let's just – play scenario game here right Nebraska goes out and they sweep Indiana then Nebraska is 9 and 10 in the conference and Indiana is 9 and 11 if Maryland can get two of three this weekend they are 8 and 12 going into the Indiana series so they would just be one out of Indiana and then the Terps are playing to knock Indiana out of the Big Ten race because if Maryland takes two of three Rutgers is not going to make the Big Ten tournament if Nebraska sweeps Indiana Nebraska is probably going to make it but then depending on what happens with the Michigan State Minnesota series Michigan State could be firmly in or firmly out if they get swept and go down to eight and twelve so I mean there is a scenario under which the Maryland Indiana series could determine the eight spot in the Big Ten tournament. The, the five teams, Indiana, Michigan State, Rutgers, Nebraska, Maryland, all have a shot to get those last two spots. Uh, a lot that happens this weekend will obviously determine how the last weekend shakes out. But just putting aside all outside scenarios, you know, anything could happen. You know, if you're a Maryland fan, are you saying if this team goes five and one, they'll probably make it? I think five and one, could get the Terps in. I think four and two could possibly get it done because the way Michigan State's playing right now, they're eight and nine. I think out of all these teams, Indiana, Michigan State, Rutgers, Nebraska, and Maryland, even though Michigan State holds that spot right now, I think they're the least likely to end up in the Big Ten tournament right now. They've got a tough end to their season, especially with Minnesota. And look, this team is not playing well at all right now. And they've got Ohio State. And they've got Ohio next State week. next week. This team, I don't think this Spartans team, by the end of it, is going to really, they're still going to factor in because they have the eighth seed right now. But I think it's going to be between, can a Maryland team get the job done or can a Nebraska team get some tough wins and get the job done? And, you know, if Rutgers can come into College Park and get a couple of big wins, they're right back in there too. So I think four puts you in position. I think five will get the Terps into the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I think four, you're feeling maybe 50-50 confident. Five, you're 
75% confident, and obviously if you go 6-0, and uh, you're going to be playing in Omaha at the end of the season. We'll get more into these scenarios on the other half of this podcast, but right now we have a, a really fun conversation with probably the best story of Maryland's season. That's Billy Phillips, obviously, overcoming cancer, and he's back on the team this year, and he's pitched quite a bit out of the bullpen. He's now the midweek starter. He's going to start uh, in the game against Towson on Wednesday. Phillips had that great start against James Madison, and uh, it was really a treat to talk with Billy about everything he's gone through over the last few years and what his experience has been like uh, this season as part of the group again and having a lot of success on the mound. The one-two, grounded sharply to second. Dunfields to short one, lead a first, double play, and Billy Phillips in his first inning as a Terp has a scoreless frame. Now joined by Terps left-hand pitcher Billy Phillips on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Billy, thanks so much for taking some time. Thanks for having me here. So this season's been somewhat great for you, I think. Just easy question to start. How much have you been enjoying this year? Um... I feel like I enjoyed even last year, but this year has been kind of special. I mean, I uh, I got a Terp Award last night, which was great because my mom was there to see it. And uh, but really, just everything that's gone on and all the opportunities that I've been getting, I just really I can't I can't thank everyone enough. And and even this right here, doing a podcast, I've never done a podcast <laughs> before, and and this is real cool. So um, uh, this year's been great. What's been the most fun part about? Kind of, I mean, you were around the guys obviously last year, but this year you're traveling, getting going on the road, and you know, putting aside the fact that you're pitching a lot and pitching well, but just kind of being fully a part of the team again. Yeah, uh, that's been great seeing all the different ballparks and stuff. Like Nebraska was, even though um, it, the outcome wasn't real what we wanted, like just being around there and being in that atmosphere and playing in front of 8,000 fans, even though I didn't get into the game, it was just. And, and even everywhere we go, seeing all the ballparks and the, the Big Ten teams and the competition that I didn't really get to be around, but I got to watch last year. It's way different being involved in it and seeing it. So that's another – it's just this year has been tremendous. So I think pretty much by now everyone kind of knows your story and, and what you've been through battling through cancer. Take me through the journey kind of starting when you were first diagnosed and, and the first kind of thoughts that went through your head then. So – when I first got diagnosed, I was extremely optimistic about that I was going to beat it and that I was going to get back and it wasn't going to take very long. Um, even the doctors kind of told me like, oh, like you're going to be just fine and all that. And uh, so at first I was kind of like, all right, let's just get this over with and um, let's get started with it. And uh, after about the the first uh, induction chemotherapy, which was the 30 days, that's when it kind of hit me like, oh, this is this is going to be a little bit of a long road ahead of me considering I was like, all right, I have to do a bone marrow transplant now, figure out when that is. And I got to do all this induction chemo. And then so many other things that happened throughout it, the little things that were kind of like, all right, this is, this isn't going to be a, a breeze. And um, then when I got through the bone marrow transplant, there was a good amount of time where I didn't know my family and I didn't know if, and friends didn't know if I was ever going to play again. And that at that point, it, the goal was just to get back to school. And um, uh, Chef was a big part in getting me kind of, even though I wasn't going to play, and if I never played again, I would still get the same scholarship that was offered to me, even though I wouldn't play. And uh, But then after I got there and kind of the support that I had from all the teammates and the coaches that were saying, you're going to play again eventually, kind of – kept me going with it and just doing the little things like getting the most out of lifts and, and eating right. And then, uh, then the thought really came back that, well, I, I, I could play again. There is a possibility that I could. And, uh, then the summer came around of after my freshman year and I gained like 20, 30 pounds. I was, uh, getting a lot stronger, making a lot of gains in the weight room. And, and I played a summer ball where they let me play every position that I wanted and they threw me out there every every game and uh then I got saw Moose for the first time and he was like I I not only do I love your story but uh I think you could help us out this year and so they did everything they could to get me um reinstated as quick as possible was there one kind of constant voice from Maryland that was in your ear the whole time sort of about getting you to school and getting you back on the mound somebody 
you know, I, I know everybody was kind of a part of this, but was there a player or a coach who was kind of there with you th- throughout the whole journey that helped you get to this point? Um, honestly, it was my best friend, Cody. Uh, he, even when he didn't believe it and I didn't believe it, he would still tell me not you're going to play college baseball again, but you're going to go play professional baseball again. He was like, I still believe you can do it. And if there's anyone who can do it, it's you. And uh, so even when I kind of felt like, all right, it probably will never happen again, there was always that little thought in my head like, I could do it. If he believes I can do it, then I should believe that I can do it. And um, I'm not dead, so there's no reason that I shouldn't go for it. And uh, so I kind of just stuck to it, let time do its thing. And as I started feeling healthier and healthier, the belief really started to come back. And uh, I just, it went from, it was kind of weird. It was like, I went from, it was like in, in a day it switched. It was like, I went from, um not going to do this again. Like, what am I going to do for a career after this um, when I get better? And then one day I woke up and I felt so good that I was like, you know, I'm going to give it a shot again. It was kind of, it was weird because it took so long to kind of get to a point where I was healthy enough to do activities again. But then once that day finally came, I was like, well, I feel good enough so I can do all this stuff again. And, um, and then I was like, if if I came this far in this amount of time, imagine if I pretty much starting from ground zero, it's like if I gained this much ground, then imagine if I waited two or three more months to see where I would be at. And it was just kind of like compounded to a point where I just felt like I could do it and people were willing to give me the opportunity to do it. And um, I wasn't going to take that for granted. So I just kind of took it and ran with it. Where do you, where are you right now with your body and your strength and your arm based on kind of, you know, where you want to be maybe next year in the coming years? I don't think – I'm even – I think I can get substantially better, honestly. <laughs> like, it's not even – I well, like the vision that I have for myself – um, I'm almost disappointed at what I've done in a way because I think I could be so much better and Moose thinks I could be so much better and everyone thinks that I could be so much better whether it's putting a little bit of extra work in the pitcher's practice that we do and, and um, getting extra work in the weight room. I sometimes think like why am I not doing this extra stuff when before the season and over the summer, I was saying I would be doing this extra stuff. And it's also, this is my first season traveling, and it's a lot of work. Like, I give credit to all the guys who've done this over the years, like doing all your schoolwork and, and staying on top of everything and getting your lifts in and traveling. It's it's a lot, It's a lot, and especially with me where my immune system isn't real great and I um, I do need that extra sleep and extra rest more than a lot of other guys do. And – um but I still feel like there's more in the gas tank, and that's what this summer is and the rest of this season. I feel like I um, I could do some more and get way better. Um, not just like talking about velo, but just becoming a smarter pitcher and um, better in the classroom, even though my, my grades are not going to brag pretty good <laughs> right now. But I definitely think there's there's no reason to kind of say, all right, I've done this, I'm playing again. I, I feel like – there's a lot more that could be done, and um, as cool as the story is right now, imagine when or if I get to a point where I'm a, a starter or doing benefit, benefiting the team a lot and um, helping the team win games next year. I remember after that first trip to Tennessee, the game ended real late, and we weren't going to get back till like, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I remember talking to you, and I said, do you have class tomorrow? And you said, yeah, I had five. Yeah. That must have been a tough day. <laughs> Mondays, Mondays have been have been hard, but I've actually done a very good job throughout the whole season getting to all my classes. Um, I have five classes on Mondays, and it's nine, ten, eleven, three, and five. So I get a little break in between my eleven o'clock and three o'clock, and then another hour break to get some food. But uh, they're very important classes. I, I did that purposefully because I knew that Mondays would be the day where I could get to all my classes and we wouldn't be traveling or um, get out early for games. So um, And it's helped out a lot because it's the day that 
Um, a lot of my in-class assignments are due, and um, I get on campus early at 9 a.m., so I'm just there the whole day. And uh, But I actually think that's the way to go. Loading up on Mondays has actually been really helpful for me throughout this season. For comparison's sake, uh, to Billy's schedule this semester, I don't have class on Tuesday, Thursday, or Friday, so you're working a lot harder than I am <laughs> right now. Uh, going back to the fall, there's that video that was out that I think everybody saw of your first bullpen session and that first pitch that you threw right down the middle and you had a little fist pump. What was that moment like? Uh, that moment was um, – I kind of was really just focusing more on what Moose had said to me the half an hour leading <laughs> up to that. And he was just like, forget everything that we've been doing for these last few weeks since I was reinstated only like a few weeks before that. And he's like, just forget everything that we've been doing. I just want you to go out there and just throw the ball. Just don't think about anything. Just just let it loose. And so I was like, you know what? I, I know like all the guys are around here watching right now, but um, – Really, it's my first bullpen. I'm not even supposed to be here. Who cares what happens? Who cares if I spike every ball? Who cares whatever? I'm just going to go out there and, and enjoy the moment and realize that a lot of people didn't think that I would ever be doing this. So when I threw that first pitch, I was like, oh, well, do it again, and then do it again. And uh, after about the 10th pitch, I started to get a little gassed and tired. But uh, that moment was really kind of also uh, – Another milestone for me where I was like, all right, I'm almost there. I'm uh, kind of a reinforcer. Like, there's no reason to stop here. Not, I got here through my first bullpen. Now I can rest in peace. Like, I, it's time to – this is, like, more momentum. Keep going. So I know you've been saying that you have really ex high expectations for yourself on the mound. Realistically – did you expect to pitch as much as you have this season? And when between the fall and the winter and then the start of the season, did it become like, hey, I'm really going to contribute for this team the way that you have? Uh, Moose said it from day one. When, uh, when I was kind of practicing before we realized that I wasn't supposed to be practicing and that I had to go <laughs> through the reinstatement process, he said that I was going to be a guy who was going to eat up a lot of innings. And he said it's – not because he's like, I've never even seen you throw off a mound before, but just from talking to you and watching your catch play, I think you could be a guy who will help out this team. And so I kind of kept that mindset the whole fall and the whole winter that I, regardless of how ready I was, he was going to throw me out there. And um, before the season, he said, I think that you'll be a guy who will throw about 20 innings for us this season. And, um, I'm pretty sure I'm close to 20 innings right now for the season. So, I mean, I haven't even been really worrying about that at all, but, like, when the stat line goes up, I take a peek <laughs> at it. You have to. Uh, yeah, and um, it was just kind of crazy that Moose had that vision for me, and that's how it played out. It's like what he's been preaching since day one. Um, if you see it in your head, you'll see it before your eyes, and that's – it's just crazy. Like, now that I think about it, because I haven't thought about that in a while, but he said the first first day of practice that I talked to him, he was like, you're going to be a guy who throws about 20 innings for me. And that's, that's what I've done. So that first appearance was the Sunday game against Tennessee, and you went out and threw a scoreless inning. And, you know, it was obviously an incredible moment for everyone who was there. Before the inning started, A.J. Lee came in and gave you a hug and said something to you. What did A.J. say to you? Uh... He said the first thing he said is let's go baby and then he said you're you're not on an island out here we got your back and um just go out there and do you and so when I did that uh I was shaking like crazy I remember um I didn't know what was going to happen kind of was like I didn't expect to even really get in to the game and uh then I turned and looked at Morris and he was just like asking me like going through the signs again and he gave me, like, this smile that he always gives me every time I see him. And then I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm going to shake everything right now. If I get rocked, we're down 12 to 6. Who cares? <laughs> so I'm just going to go out there and, and throw him what I have. And uh, I think Moose was calling the pitches. Or actually, Justin might have been calling the pitches. So I just believed in what they put down. And um, 
tried to go through my reference points and all the training that we've been doing since I got here and good things happened for me because I was kind of throwing around the strike zone. So I don't know if it was because I was throwing under bat speed or <laughs> they just couldn't hit it, but uh, good things happened for me. So you have that scoreless inning and you walk back to the dugout and pretty much everyone came out and gave you a hug. What was going through your mind after that inning? Well, I really was still in shock that I even got put into the game, and everything just kind of happened so fast. Uh, before I knew it, the the ball was being hit right to Dunn, and I was kind of jogging off the mound. But the first thing I thought was, I know Kevin Biondic. Kevin Biondic was another guy who said from day one, like, when I was in the fall and I wasn't playing at all, and uh, I uh, was going through the reinstatement process, which took forever to get through, so, like, the whole fall I didn't get to practice until, right. like, the last week or so. And um, every day I would walk in there, he would just look at me and be like, you practicing today? He'd be like, I, like this is – you would had some pretty uh, – Colorful bad, language. Yeah, colorful language. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Four, but he's like, when are you going to get out there? And he's like, this is pissing me off that you're, you're not out there practicing with us. And uh, so I knew that when he got the ball after the double play that he was going to want to run over and, and give it to me. And so I just turned around, kind of backpedaled towards home plate, and and he gave me the ball, gave me a high five, and then after everybody um, gave me hugs and all that, uh, he was standing around waiting for me to kind of – for everything to settle down and then said some things in my ear that, like, about how, like, proud he was of me and all that. And um, nothing – nothing didn't, the emotion didn't really hit me until uh, I called my mom later that night, and uh, – we actually, I actually couldn't even talk to her because she was sobbing the whole time. But um, the bus ride back to the airport or the hotel it was, wherever we went that Sunday night, um, I just kind of thought about, like, from when I got diagnosed to everything where I was sitting there, like, the times where I'd be in the hospital bed, like, thinking what's going to, what is going to happen. Like, I couldn't believe that. If you had told me at that time in, in the hospital bed that I would be pitching just two years after that, I would have told you you were crazy and that there was no shot. And um, it's like it's almost like words can't really accurately like describe everything that's happened over the years. It was just kind of like a feeling that came over me. I was just like, whoa, it's wild. So you were pitching out of the bullpen for a while, and then a couple weeks ago you get the ball to start the game against James Madison and it obviously went incredibly well, but when did you find out you were starting, who told you, and what was the feeling then? So that game was on a Wednesday. Moose called me Monday night before it was supposed to be George Mason, and he said, you're going to get the next start, whatever game it is, because the George Mason game got rained out, and he said, that game, the weather's probably going to be bad, so if uh, if that gets rained out, you still have the next game against JMU. And uh, so that was Monday night, and um, he was just saying, like, how do you feel about it? And I had no words to, <laughs> to describe it. I just kept saying thank you to him. And he was like, why the hell are you saying thank you to me? Like, there's you earned it. You deserve it. And But I just kept saying thank you to him. And um, then he was saying, like, listen – this year we haven't had a whole lot of great midweek starts, so you really have nothing to lose here. And he's like, I don't want you to overthink it, and I know it's a great thing, you don't, but don't go, don't do anything different than what you've been doing right now. I don't want you to go out there thinking that you got to do too much, and just because you're starting, that you got to go about it differently. He said, just just do what you've been doing this year, and um. And you'll be great. And remember, like, you literally have nothing to lose. And when he said that, I was like, you know, you're right. Like, what's going to happen if I if I throw poorly? Nothing is going to happen. So just um, that start really also put things into perspective again. And uh, it was another milestone for me. It's kind of like I have these little goals that I set out and uh, that are in my head. And um, it's just great when I get to check one of those things off I was told that the plan that day was for you to go two innings and it ended yeah. up being four scoreless did you have to talk your way to stay into the game no uh Moose when he called me he said I'm only looking for two but you know if you throw too well we're going to keep throwing you out there until 
until um, either you reach your pitch limit or things start to where it's time for you to or time for us to put in someone else. So um, after the second inning, I came in and Coach Vaughn was just like, "Are you good?" And I said, "Yeah, keep throwing me out there." And then the fourth inning, or after the third inning, when I came and he said, "How do you feel?" and I said, "Great, let me go back out there." And uh, he was like, "It's your game. You got it." And then uh, when I came in from the fourth inning, that was after uh, I had th- I got three outs pretty quickly, but they were on uh, they hit the ball pretty hard. <laughs> so at that was the time when Coach Vaughn kind of knew he was like, "All right, they're starting to square them up a little bit." And I think that was a perfect time because I definitely got a little gas towards the end of it. That's the most I had thrown in a while, and um, they uh. They knew what they were doing. So, you know, for whatever this is worth, uh, I have class on Wednesday nights, so I wasn't going to go to the game. And then I heard you were starting, and I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to the game. And I expected two innings and to get to class on time, and then it was three innings, and then it was four innings. So I was like 15 to 20 minutes late to class. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so you're, you've had to somewhat learn to pitch with different stuff. That than you had in high school. You don't necessarily throw as hard, and mm-hmm. you know you like you said you get a little winded earlier. How much has that developed you as a pitcher? And once you you know keep keep gaining the strength and getting your stuff back, how much does this experience do you think? How much is that going to help you when you have better stuff than you have right now? Oh, t- tremendously, honestly. Like the the fact that I can get guys out right now with what I have. Um, goes to what Moose tells me every day that his definition of competing is believing that what you have is good enough for that day. And so that's what I go out there and I tell myself because just, just positive thoughts all the time. Whenever I have a negative thought, when I go out there, bad things happen. So I try to flush everything. And um, this is the way I think of it and the way Moose thinks of it is if I can get outs throwing 80 miles an hour and um, imagine what's ha- what's going to happen when I can throw 88, 90 again or even past that. But uh, that's going to start with eating healthy, doing all my recovery and uh, giving it all, everything I can in the gym and um, just kind of sticking to the routine that I'm doing. But, uh, yeah, if, if I can get guys out right now, then – it's just a all all confidence for me. Just um, at first, the first time I went out there, it was kind of like I don't know if I'm good enough. And um, Tennessee was a big confidence boost because I that was the first thing I was thinking was I don't know if I'm good enough, but I'm just going to compete. And um, each time that I go out there, I get a little bit more comfortable on the mound. And then after JMU, it was just a huge confidence boost for me. And um, try to take that into every outing now. And it seems like the healthier I get and um, the better I feel, also the more confidence I have again. And so um, I don't want to say I want to get back to where I was in high school, but I want to just keep enhancing what I have right now every day. So Moose is one of the more kind of inspirational people that, I've ever met, and that's yeah, probably 100%. true. Yeah, and he has you, you know, write down on note cards what you're thankful for and stuff like that. And he's such a huge proponent of the mental part of the game. So, you've mentioned him a lot, but how much farther along do you think you are, specifically because of him putting aside all teaching you how to, you know, throw fastballs and stuff like that? Um, well, what he preaches to us goes way beyond baseball he uh he really does not care what the outcome is or the results are for the game as long as we go out there and we give him his definition of competing and um but really what he's trying to get us to realize is that the things in baseball correlate to life in general and he just wants us to be the best humans that we can be and um realize that Everything is what what you think and you interpret it to be. So we had this meeting on Sunday. Uh, was it Sunday? 
I think it was Sunday, where we were in Omaha. Yep. And he took us to the where they play the College World Series. And we stood there as a team, and we talked about, like, what we wanted our program to be. And um, it all just related to being a selfless human and being thankful for everything you get and realizing that, like, the only way well, – not the only way, but everyone who tries to get better is going to fail, and you can't look at failure – as a failure, you got to look at it as um, something to grow with. And uh, if you look at it as growth, then it'll only make you better in the long run. But really, his main point is that baseball can just help you be, or the way that we go about our business can just will make us better men and better individuals in the long run. You're getting the ball again tomorrow against Towson. Um I would think everybody gets nervous and excited for a start. But right now, I mean, the game is 21 hours from right now where we're sitting. Uh, how excited do you get that, you know, get my third start in a row? Yeah, this is great. And it's actually going to be even better for me because one of my best friends who's been away for this past year is going to come and watch. And I think I have some family coming down and, um, They've been wanting to see me pitch for years now, and uh, they've only been able to watch me through um, the podcasts and and uh, the videos online. So seeing them in the stands is going to be pretty awesome for me. And, um, again, it's my third start. I'm feeling a lot more comfortable out there, and uh, I know I got eight guys, well, seven guys behind me, one guy in front of me who's going to give everything they have for me. And uh, – I'm really excited for this one. Through this whole journey yeah. of this year, what's been the most special part and maybe who's someone that's, you know, really cool that you've heard from? I would say hmm, That's a tough one. <laughs> I've heard from a good amount of people, but uh I'd really say the hmm I really got that's a tough one. I got to think about that one. So through this whole journey, what was the most special moment? You know, maybe maybe in in 20 years when you think about your first year back pitching, mm -hmm. are are you going to remember that first outing against Tennessee, the first start against JMU, that first bullpen session? Well, I'm going to remember all of that, but let's say Honestly, the most special moment thinking about it was probably meeting Moose for the first time, to be 100% honest with you. He just, like, didn't care that, like, he didn't care what I threw like or how I was at the moment, but just, just what he heard from me, he was like, I'm going to give this kid a chance, and I could just see it. In, in his eyes when he was talking to me, like, we're going to get this thing rolling. And um, I didn't think of it at the time, but, like, the more I, like, think about it and the more I talk to him and, and see him at practice and, and in games and stuff and just the way he treats everyone on the team, I just really think he's definitely one of the most special people in my life. And I'm really thankful that I have him as a coach and as a friend. Now, your your father passed from – cancer when you were younger what do you think he would have to say about this season you've had uh honestly he would just give me the the good phillips grin that he always had uh he would, wouldn't say much would just give me a pat on the back and and a hug and uh was not did not was not a man of very many words <laughs> i would say but um was never was the kindest, sweetest person I've ever met and would just just look at me and I would tell that he was proud of me, would tell me he loved me. And uh, I can tell he's probably up there just smiling down. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's really, that's really what he'd be doing, just smiling. 
So I know you have lofty expectations for yourself. A couple years from now, where is Billy Phillips, the pitcher, going to be in your mind? I think he's going to be the same person, but he's going to be – he's going to have a completely different physique. He's going to be a beast in in every facet of the weight room, running, um, squatting, benching. Everything's going to be 100% different, and I'm going to be a lot smarter of a pitcher. I'm going to be more confident as a human – and um, I'm going to still be grateful for everything that I have and thankful for every opportunity that I get. But I think there's a lot more that's coming in the next few years. You've obviously become an inspiration to a lot of people, and I think at this point you probably know that. So you've kind of gotten the platform to give a message out. If there is one message you want to give to people – about life or anything, you know, what is that? It's going to sound kind of like eyewash, really, but a lot of people take granted, uh, take for granted, is it granted? granted? Take for granted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every, like, just the little things in life, like drinking water, even, breathing, um, having an appetite, like, just the littlest tiny things I feel like people take lightly of. And um, if I had one word of advice, it's and it's hard to do even for me sometimes. But like when when I'm not feeling too good, or things aren't going my way, or I get hit around or whatever, I just kind of just step back and think like, you know, I get to wake up tomorrow and be a better person than I was today, and. A lot of people, I feel like, kind of coast their way through their life and they don't go out and attack their, the day with everything they have. So, I, yeah, the one thing that I would say is just be thankful for every day that you get to live because there's a lot of people who wish that they had more time and their time is slimming down fast and uh, just try to better yourself as a human, as a person. There's no reason not to. All right, Billy. Well, I have taken up way too much of your time, but I, <laughs> no, really, I enjoyed really... this. This was fun. <laughs> um, I like this. I'm glad you did. Uh, the season's winding down, but uh, we'll make a promise to each other that we'll do this again next year and uh, we'll enjoy it as much as possible. For sure. Time. I'll get better at this too. Uh, you were great, man. I'll, be, uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> stop stuttering and <laughs> gather my words a little better. better. All right, thanks, All right. Billy, and, and good luck tomorrow. Good luck the rest of the way. Oh, thank you. Our thanks to Billy Phillips for joining us on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Now I'm back with Connor, and it's time to preview the upcoming week for Maryland, it starts on Wednesday at 4 o'clock in a midweek game against Towson. This is no longer the Ripken Cup, and uh, the Terps are going to look to you know build momentum again, as we've been saying is what these midweeks are about right now. And Towson, frankly, not a very good team, 13-35 and 35 on the season. Billy Phillips is going to get the start for Maryland. On the other side, for uh, Towson, you're going to see Dean Stramera, who is 2-1 with a 4.12 ERA this season. You know, not a lot of offense or pitching numbers that are very impressive uh, from Towson. They have Richie Palacios, who's had a fantastic season and a fantastic career, hitting 322. But other than that, there's not much to speak of. Pitching-wise, the team ERA is over 7, so maybe a momentum-boosting game for Maryland. Yeah, just more of kind of a fun game for the Terps. You get to play Towson, a team that – Two actually played a very good game up at in Aberdeen last year, a seven to six win for the Terps in that one last year. Excuse me, a six to five win for the Terps, winning the Ripken Cup last year. AJ Lee had that big solo homer in the eighth to put him 
on top for the Terps. And this is a Towson team. New head coach Matt Tyner in his first season took over for Mike Gottlieb. He was done after 30 seasons at Towson. And Tyner struggled a little bit in his first season, obviously 13-35. and 35. They're 6-12 and 12 in the CAA right now. So Towson struggling a little bit. Just ended a nine-game losing streak with a win over College of Charleston over the weekend, which is a pretty good team in the CAA that they got one of in Towson this weekend. But it'll be a bigger game for the Tigers probably, just trying to get a big win over maybe not an in-state rival, but maybe the best team you're going to see inside your own state. So trying to get some bragging rights. But really it's about Billy Phillips gaining confidence, kind of coming back from that West Virginia start where he got hit around a little bit. His defense did not help him. He didn't help himself defensively in that game either. And it's about some bullpen arms maybe trying to get right a little bit. There's a possibility we could maybe see Kevin Bionic in there for an inning just trying to get right after what happened to him on Saturday, really his first bad outing. You could see a guy like Mike Vasturia in there for an inning. A couple and Murphy, of Murphy didn't pitch all weekend. And a guy like John Murphy get an inning in just to kind of get the guys right because we know the big weekend is – everything's on the weekend now. Everything's about the Big Ten game. So, again, about just getting some guys right. And hopefully the Terps, kind of like they did with James Madison a few weeks ago, you know, they got a midweek win. It was a very solid game where they pitched well, they hit well, and the game didn't really mean anything, but it led them into a weekend against Michigan State where they took two or three from the Spartans. So maybe just one of those games where they can try and do that again on Wednesday. So the big weekend series is against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, a team that is much improved from the one that Maryland went up and kind of boat raced in Piscataway for three games last year. Rutgers is 24-27 and 27 and 11 in the Big Ten, currently ninth in the Big Ten standings. And you know what? This is a, a decent team that's had a solid, solid year, especially considering uh, where they've been in the past, the, the last couple of years, uh, just to be honest, kind of a doormat in the Big Ten. Come, uh, Rutgers is coming off losing two of three at home against Michigan. Beat them 15 to nine on Friday night. Lost nine four on Saturday. Lost six one on Sunday. And these are going to be two incredibly hungry teams because if either of them loses two of three. Don't even worry about getting swept. If you lose two or three, you're probably not making uh, the Big Ten tournament. And on the one side here, Connor, you have Rutgers, a team that nobody expected to be here because nobody thought they'd be this good. And then on the other side, you have Maryland, a team no one expected to be here because a lot of people thought they were going to win the conference. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be such a big weekend, as you talked about. And, you know, these two teams, as you said, like the loser of this series – if it's a two out of three loser, they could still find a way to sneak in. But really, when you look at it, I mean, there's not much. You got to win the series for both of these teams. It's do or die time. And especially, you know, and the other th way to look at it is if one team sweeps the other, they're going to be in incredible position to get into the Big Ten tournament. So this is such a big weekend. You know, it's not like a it's not a very sexy matchup for the Big Ten this weekend. Maryland Rutgers, especially how it went last year with, as you said, Maryland going up to Piscataway. The only thing that really got a win in Piscataway was the sun over you in that one. <laughs> but other than that, you know, it was really all Maryland that weekend. But this time it's going to be very different. These two teams basically playing for the same thing. You look at the Big Ten record, 6-11 and 11 for the Terps, 7-11 and 11 for Rutgers. They both have the series victories over Michigan State, which gives them a big tiebreaker over the team currently in eighth place in the Big Ten. So it's going to be a huge series. One thing Rutgers does has that Maryland doesn't is a series win over Nebraska as well. So they have that tiebreaker too. So going to be a huge weekend. I think for the Terps, it's going to be about that offense. That offense we saw the first 11 innings against Nebraska over the weekend. They're going to need that. They're going to need Marty Costas to continue to hit the ball. Kevin Bionic's hitting better. Costas hitting better. Zach Jankarski's bat is starting to show up a little bit. If the Terps have that, I think the pitching, even with all the shuffling, we've seen so many different starting rotation combinations over the last couple weeks. It's still been solid every weekend. You know, I don't think Parsons is going to have another start like that. It's going to be about the bats this weekend. I think they can kind of hit Rutgers out of this one and maybe sweep the Scarlet Knights. So on Friday for Rutgers, John O'Reilly is the starter. He's 5-2, and two, but a very high ERA at 5.28. A freshman left-hander, Harry Rakowski, pitches on Saturdays. He is 4-5 and five with a 4.82 ERA. And then on Sundays, the Scarlet Knights have kind of mixed things around. Last weekend against Michigan, they went with Carl Blum, who is 0-4 with a 5.19 ERA. So the the earned run averages are not impressive for Rutgers, but offensively, they hit 376, or excuse me, 276 as a team. 376. 376. That would be insane. Uh, they have three everyday starters that hit over 300, five guys that hit at least 285. 
Nobody has overly impressive numbers. The team leader in in home runs is Nick Matera. He has five of them and also 34 RBIs. But pretty much everybody who plays regularly for this team has at least 20 RBIs. So there's been a lot to go around. They have three guys that steal a lot of bases. Dan DiGiorgio has 16 Jawan Harris, remember he's a wide receiver on Rutgers football team. Also, he has 20 stolen bases. And Mike Nyastor has 11 stolen bases and has not been caught this season. So this is a team that likes to get on base and do a little bit of running. Their closer is Serafino Brito. He um, was their Friday night guy last year, similar to Nebraska and Jake Hohensey. He was Rutgers Friday night pitcher last year. This year he's the closer. He's got five saves and a 3.86 ERA. So these are two teams that... Um, are going to have to be offensive, I think, if they're going to win the series. Yeah, it's going to be, as I said, about Costas getting back in the middle of this Terps order, and they just need a little bit from A.J. Lee at the top. And Nick Dunn, obviously, just keep doing what Nick Dunn's been doing. But Costas looks so comfortable, you know, against Michigan State, going into that game against West Virginia, and then even, you know, pretty much the whole series against Nebraska. Just looks so much more comfortable at the plate. Like, he was seeing pitches so much better. It looked like this, the switch just flipped for Costas over the last couple of weeks. If he can keep that going, the Terps will be set up very, very well, and it's going to be all about the offense. The one thing the Terps have that Rutgers doesn't really play with is the power. The home runs have kind of hurt the Terps more than helped them at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium this season, so you're hoping that this weekend the power kind of helps the Terps. You know, a little bit of a small ballpark compared to some of the places these teams play in the Big Ten, so you're hoping that Costas can get a couple out and you can get these guys to hit, and especially at the bottom of the lineup. The bottom of the Terps lineup was the key when they took two or three from the Spartans a couple weeks ago. They're going to need those guys, Randy Bednar, Justin Vogt, Justin Morris, guys at the bottom to get some big hits. Starting pitching-wise, we expect it to be Mark DeLuya on Friday again and Hunter Parsons on Saturday. Taylor Bloom gave Maryland a, a good start on Sunday. Tyler Bloom did not pitch over the weekend because he's been dealing with some arm soreness, so the Terps decided to just completely shut him down for a week and see if that can make things better. It's going to be an interesting decision whether they go Bloom or Bloom if they're both available. Uh, if not, then the other one would obviously be available out of the bullpen. Um, that's all operating under the idea that Bloom will be available to pitch at all. So Sunday's going to be a decision. Friday and Saturday will not. And if you're Maryland, you hope that that Mark DeLuya keeps progressing the way he has all season, and you hope Hunter Parsons bounces back to what he was for two and a half months. Just the Tennessee start and this one against Nebraska have been a little bit rough. Yeah, it's it's it was tough to watch really against Nebraska because you you didn't see really you know what he did against Tennessee or what he did kind of in most of 2017. That wasn't there where he was just either missing way out of the strike zone or throwing everything over the middle of the plate. But you just saw a little bit of him where he doesn't have the same amount of movement on the fastball, same amount of command of the off-speed pitches, which was really tough. When you can throw the slider at the knees, slider on the outside corner, like that's when he's great because he can mix it in with that diving fastball. But he didn't really have that against Nebraska. That hurt him. He had to rely on the fastball up which is not good for him. If he has to continuously throw that fastball up and for strikes, that's when it can be hit. When he gets it down in the zone, that's a ground ball all day. But he was kind of throwing that fastball up because he couldn't get his other pitches over for strikes, and that was really hurting him. But if he can get those secondary pitches over and then continue to use the fastball below the knees, he'll get back to what he's been doing. And obviously the Terps, I think, you know, if Parsons can get back to what he's been doing, they just need the starters to kind of stay how they've been. And as I said, it just needs to be the offense they need to hit, but they need to be consistent as well. Because if you look at the weekend and how the Terps did offensively, you look at 25 runs in three games, you're thinking, I'll take that every weekend. Are you kidding me? But when you really break it down, it was, you know, 23 of them came in the first 11 innings. Then they were held scoreless after that for the next, I believe, 15 innings without a run. So you got to distribute it out a little bit more if you want to beat the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, I was just doing the math in my head. 15, 7, and then and then 8. So, uh, obviously a monumental series for Maryland against Rutgers. Looking around the Big Ten, Iowa is at Northwestern. Not that important to the Terps. Illinois at Michigan, same deal. Purdue at Ohio State, same deal. Xavier and Penn State. So, Penn State at a conference. Obviously, it doesn't matter to Maryland. But the two big series you're going to be watching, Indiana at Nebraska and Michigan State at, out of Minnesota. And once we are done with game three of the series on Sunday, we'll see how things are sh going to shake out. Maryland could be in a great position after getting a sweep. 
They could be in a tough position if they don't win the series, and they can be anywhere in between, but it's going to be exciting. The season is on the line this weekend, and uh, we are both very much looking forward to it, and we hope you'll join us, uh, as always, for all of the coverage. So that will pretty much wrap up this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Billy Phillips for joining us on this one. As always, follow us on Twitter for updates at MDBaseballNet. Check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash MDBaseballNet. And look at all our content at our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. If you like what you hear on this podcast, subscribe to it by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. The schedule for this weekend, 6.30 Friday night against Rutgers, 2 o'clock on Saturday and 1 o'clock on Sunday. And then obviously that midweek game against Towson, 4 o'clock on Wednesday. And we will have all the coverage for you as always on the Maryland Baseball Network. For now, for our entire Maryland Baseball Network staff and my partner on this podcast, Connor Newcomb, I'm Justin Galanti. So long, everyone.